you are listening to the Conversations for Change podcast with Dolphin Casper. So I'm excited today to welcome to the podcast Nicole Hartley Bradford. Uh, I'm going to do a little intro of her and then we're going to dive in. Um, There's lots of really interesting topics that I know we're going to get into. And uh, one thing that I know and love about Nicole is that um, she's ever hungry to dive into the real and um, to include the the kind of global and universal uh, without in any way avoiding the personal and the raw and the gritty. So uh, excited to have her on the podcast today. And Nicole is the founder and creator of Awakening the Village, uh, also the creator of Awaken the Temporary Permaculture Ashram. I'm sure we're going to get into that and she can tell us what that means. And uh, she's also the creator and uh, deep devotee to something called Project Salvage, uh, which stands for Seeding a Living Village. So excited to have Nicole on the program. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, sweet. So I, I met Nicole, it must have been eight or nine years ago now. Feels like uh, time is just a strange thing. But uh, Nicole and I have had the opportunity to, to uh, work and play and sit together a number of times and it's always rich. And one of the things that I know about Nicole is that um, she's deeply interested in and dedicated to what it is for us as human beings to be together, to live together and to thrive together and, and I, in the work that she's created in the world, it's really clear that that's the case. And so what I would love to start with is just a little bit about for you, what, what led you to this? Has it always been clear that this is your work? Um, and if so, why? And if not, when did that transition happen? Oh, yeah, wow. What a great question. For me, parts of it have been clear ever since I can remember. Other parts have become ever more clear as time has passed. Um, I'm the firstborn daughter to South African immigrants. And so I, I, you know, I started out with some really great belonging in my family and also some really huge, like, fractures um, that come with immigration to a new country and leaving family behind. And to having strange parents who speak in strange accents. And, and then I, I, I mean, I just, I can look back over my life and I turned 50 just the other day. So I did this and I could see these like, these peaks, peak experiences of, of dreadful aloneness and great grief for having lost what I've come to call the, the village the village that would have provided all these things. And um, I've experienced being um, bullied at school. My elementary school classmates created the Hate Nicole Club. I experienced being forgotten at dance classes and walking my way home through cold, dark streets. I've experienced um, being a, a, a single mom who was left by the three parents of my four children. I've experienced being a mom who became homeless because she couldn't figure out a way to make herself financially valuable. I've experienced being 
a mother whose child has told me in no uncertain terms that they hate me and they wish I'd, they'd never been born. I've, I mean, I've, I've grieved the loss of my father, my dear beloved dad at the age of 23, right when I needed someone the most as a single mom. Uh, you know, off he went <laughs> to the great beyond. And yeah, just all these experiences of not village, not kind of optimized environment in which to have and enjoy these beautiful, delicious human relationships and relationships with this glorious, glorious planet that we get to be made of. So yeah, I wanted to see what I could do to you know, co-create a world where, where people could have all that yumminess. I've noticed in the work that I do that, that there is some kind of intelligent recognition in us, often unconscious. And if we're willing and interested, it becomes conscious that, you know, what was disconnected, uh, out of alignment, not right when we were little, uh, becomes a kind of calling for us. We were drawn to it uh, in spite of the fact that it touches us in, in often uncomfortable ways. Uh, I'm just curious if you could speak to um, your sense of that intelligence that's there of, of why we're called to these places that are um, maybe missing pieces in us and you know maybe what the double-edged sword of that is because I see there's, there's definitely some challenges that go along with that calling and of course incredible opportunity. Yeah. What comes to mind when I hear you ask that question is an experience I had in a float tank one time. I had, I had spent the first half hour just working out all the kinks in my body. And then, um, and then I got this, this super like timeless, like bodiless experience of being it, you know, like being all there is. And, and then, started having this conversation with myself about what we could do if we just if we just got so small so small that we could like flip into matter from not matter and then and then it would take ages but we could like from there build to this experience of getting to be everything we were um, beyond matter and, and be it in matter and and it was like it was almost like, you know, we dreamed up this, this diorama of, um, of this beautiful, wild living. And, and I just got this real sense that that, that had happened, that, that this was like it. And, uh, and, and here I was and that we'd noticed that, you know, at some point in time, we'd each have come together, all the tiny particles of each of us would have come together and, and, and remembered, oh, this is what we're here for, oh yeah. And we kind of need each other to help each other remember. And, um, and then we get on with it. So, yeah, I don't know how your double-edged sword question fits into that. Hmm. <laughs> oh, maybe I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's just what I, it's the, it's the meaning I make of it. Someone else might make, completely different meaning of, of their life and, and the purpose of existence. And those two meanings might seem to um, conflict with each other. Uh, 
and you know I I just I've learned that I kind of have to be just okay with that and and not try to convince anyone to make meaning of their lives the way I make meaning of my life mm. you know and that brings up for me a, a really interesting question it's one I've explored in my own life and the work I do which is where where is the disagreement and discord just a part of the the creative unfolding of life and where where are we holding to a kind of self-oriented me mine paradigm that's actually at odds with that underlying intelligence that you're speaking to you know i think it what comes to me when you were speaking is that not a lot of people or if they have, they may haven't let it all the way in, have had that transcendent experience of non-being. Mm -hmm. there's, there's this kind of, there's a clear quality of presence and there's not much else you can say about it. You can start to put words and sense to it after the fact in, in reflecting on it. But when you're in that, it's like, it is timeless. It is something of the eternal. It is something of this the, the underlying formless intelligence that, that actually science is now saying, well, empty space, it's not empty space. There's tons of stuff going on. There's tons of energy. There's tons of informed movement there. And then, and then matter gets added. And, and one of the things that I, I like to think about is, and then this just makes deep sense to me, is that human beings have this incredible capacity to choose to do something new with that underlying blueprint. That, that formless intelligence and the new can be aligned in some way, like a, like a, a, a developmental extension of that intelligence. We can also go sideways and do something funny with it. Do something uh -huh. maybe not, not authentic with it is how I would often define it. And Dude, you ask such good questions. <laughs> well, I don't even know if I'm in a question yet, but, but, <laughs> but what, what it makes me think about, because if we're going to talk about human community, in its most robust, authentic, vibrant form, then it can't be a reductionist, like one plus one equals two equation. That doesn't work. And every time I look at communities that try to get based on something that's, that's too narrow, that doesn't include this, this vast intelligence that underlies it all, um, people get lost. And, and, and so, yeah, I guess the question is how do we, how do we make room for an intelligence that first doesn't make sense intellectually mm. and actually can't first make sense intellectually? Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What comes to mind is, is it is pretty um, like just psychosomatic for me. Uh, I get this idea that when we take it down to like one person's individual life, I just, I get this idea that so many of us as little ones um, were, were just shamed and rejected for having what we, what we came to think of as like negative emotions. Like, you know, when I started having a meltdown or said no, or, you know, like just shaming happened because the, the people who brought me up didn't, didn't know how to, how to handle that. Maybe because that's how they had been handled. As, as little ones. And so it's just become conditioned, I think, to have a real like resistance to feeling those difficult, unpleasant feelings and feeling the shame that kind of glued those feelings into us. 
And it was only for me when I, and, and this has been gradual over time too. I think I remember the first time I really remember doing it, I was 14. And, you know, the most recent time that I did it was like this morning, was just to feel a really uncomfortable feeling. And just instead of being like, no to it, or instead of being ashamed of it and trying to get away from it and make something different, I just like, let it be. And, you know, further in the past, letting it be looked like friggin' like mourning, like filling the whole world with these sounds of grief. Um, and, you know, that's happened a little bit in the not so distant past also. Um, I just know by now that I feel always so much more clear, so much more at ease in my body, and so much more open in my mind after having let that occur. And all kinds of new possibilities come into my mental space about what else might be possible, what else might be true about what I've been believing life and my circumstances to be. And, and what I would love to do is that deeply personal and strangely impersonal way of being that, that allows what might be unintegrated or unresolved in us to kind of settle or, or at least have a sense that, that it's okay as it is very much a kind of mindfulness or a Buddhist uh, frame for, yeah, it arises, it passes, it arises, it passes, that's life. And making a problem out of what is inevitably going to arise and pass doesn't make sense and definitely doesn't work. Mm. How does that translate into what we might call community? How do we bring the intelligence of that, um, that, that might not feel functional enough for us at first? It's like, what do you mean? Just like be with my extremely uncomfortable feelings. <laughs> well, no, I need to do something. Um, it, it, it's like a, like a, a catch 22, right? Like mm. to change something first, it actually needs to be okay. Otherwise yeah. the change will become a kind of addiction, a yeah. kind of inauthentic coping. That's, that's not about first being with the totality of what's there. Yeah. So, so for you, like, cause all of your work is really centered around presence, relationship and community. How do you see that, that the, maybe the intelligence or the insight of what you just spoke to, how does that come into community? Why isn't it there more often? And what can we do about it? That's three questions. Maybe you start with one. I'll, I'll try to support us navigating. What was together. the first one again? <laughs> well, how do you bring that? First, yeah. how do you bring that into yeah. a, a communal space where there's different mm. feelings, there's different senses of things, there's different right. perspectives, and there's different values being carried by the individuals yeah what do you do oh well what comes to mind is you you bring it in slowly um i think it's got to be an experiment where it's okay to get it wrong um you kind of bring it in with low stakes first you know you bring it in when it doesn't really matter if you lose the person um or if you Mess, and, and you bring it in slowly enough that you don't end up in super deep water out of your depth, you know, too fast. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've got to, I've had to really learn how to be okay with getting it wrong. 
and then and then I have to go back to the personal, the inter inside of myself part, where it's like, oh my gosh, I fucked up, and I've got to be like, take that away to see to myself before I go back to the person, preferably, and and, and I might not, I might have, I might not notice that I that I made that mistake until we're both in real, like, tweaked out places. Um, and then more and more, I guess I've learned to get into the experiment more often with people who are already in the experiment themselves really deeply so that we can actually like go from just seeing to ourselves and taking ourselves away and getting ourselves sorted and bringing ourselves back to actually being able to stay together while we do that and being able to like work that out between, you know, me and myself and them and themselves. And then just again, slowly, but gradually going from low stakes to high stakes, learning to circle that out, you know, include one more person, maybe two and, and then trust um, that that circle will grow. And, and when we're, when we're not having to see to the, the feelings and the mending that needs to, in the integrating that needs to happen within ourselves and between us, we can get on with, you know, building some nice, simple infrastructure that sees to our need to have a cozy place to sleep at night, um, have some food in our bellies a few times a day, clean water, and, you know, just fill, fill the day with, with um, really satisfying activities One thing that comes up for me as you're speaking is I love what you're saying. I totally believe in and agree with what you're saying. Um, I think two, there's two pieces. One is a lot of us find ourselves in an existing community that isn't small, that doesn't necessarily allow us to build or it doesn't appear to allow us to build from the inside out in that way and mm. slowly add pieces as the, the foundation uh, warrants that addition. Um, so I think I'm curious about what do we do if we already find ourselves in a relatively uh, formalized community and that foundation isn't there. Like how do we build from that? And also the piece about buy-in because uh, I think your approach in, in, in my experience with you and your work is that it, it's very essential. It's very foundational and when you, the deeper you go, this is what I recognize is the deeper you go into what you might call a true way of being, the more the individuals that, that plug in have to let go of the personal narratives and the personal attachments they've been carrying. They actually have to give that stuff over to something that is much more inclusive and cohesive. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, those are two pieces. Yeah. I don't know if you want to yeah. get to one and then the other. Oh, Something that comes to mind is something that um, Esther Perel said on CBC Radio yesterday. She made a distinction between community and camps. And she, she talked about how often we think we're talking about community when we're looking at a group of people that do things together and how often we actually are in camps because, because we're not letting people into the camp if they don't agree with us, if they're very different from us. So we don't actually, I don't think 
we often have community. When we think we have community, we more have camps. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's just that we can aspire to something more unified. More. Well, and, and to me, I think if you think you're in a community, but you're in a camp, you're going to run into all sorts of difficulties that, that you can't make sense of because yeah. you're, you're, the frame you're using doesn't reflect what's actually there. Yeah. And it even connects into the question you had about um, buy-in. Um, in a real community, nobody, nobody needs to buy in. They, they just need to show up and they'll be integrated. Um, because no matter how like or different they are um, to any one of us in the, in the community, um, we'll be excited because we'll get to learn and grow from whatever it is they bring, which, you know, might be, might be really challenging, um, especially given how a lot of people are right now today in the world. And I mean, it kind of makes me glad that I'm not actually in a community and having to do that yet, though I'm, I'm kind of in a, in a, an iteration of community. And in this iteration of community among us, we're, we're, we're asking questions like that, you know, how do we, how do we make sure that we um, don't get ourselves into a real fix uh, by um, allowing someone to, you know, become part of the household who's just got so many destructive ways or, or brings us to challenges we don't feel we're quite up to yet. It's, a, it's definitely a thing. And hey, what would you say about? You know, I think about our, our judicial system, our justice system, mm -hmm. and what we do with the, the, the unlikables, the, the inappropriates. Um, and that, that's not to make light of crime or, or yeah. you know, actions and behaviors that are highly destructive. Um, but, you know, is there a time for a community to say, like, no, this, this is not a place for you? Um, if not, then what does that mean when someone is, is deeply problematic and, and clearly uh, willfully or unconsciously uh, creating disharmony? And, and, and what do we do with that? And, and is there a time for us to say, yeah. you, need to, you need to go? Um, you know, I think of, of more traditional or native cultures where there might be because the survival of the community is always sort of in an underlying way that the point of everything that, that the elders or the, 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 the wise people in the community might actually say, you need to go away. Yeah. And maybe if you can sort this out and come back ready to engage, not be perfect, but to engage this community in a, in a sincere way, you can't be here. So you know, I'm just curious about your thoughts about that. That yeah. way, is there a threshold, and if so, what does that mean? Uh, well, you know, lately, lately, there's clearly been a time for that because um, it's just it's happening. It's happened. So many, so many cases I've seen um, as I've watched different community hubs, um, where the where the group where the kind of majority basically decided they would oust someone, ask them to leave, or make it impossible for them to stay. Um, I get, you know, I get so sensitive around those matters of choice and um, someone's choice being taken away, decided for someone else. Even in a situation where I'm like, you know, if you just told them how you felt, they probably would have decided themselves to leave. <laughs> um, and yet, yeah, I, and I think the stronger and more communal 
any group is, the, the more empowered that group is to um, meet and, and, and see to uh, a person and a set of behaviors that person brings that, that, that are destructive. Um, and the better chance I think that person has of being able to let go of whatever the ideas or attitudes or, or, you know, energetic blocks they have to feeling their pain so that they can then clear it out and come to the clarity that, that, you know, we were talking about earlier in, in the personal version of it. You talked a little bit about uh, when you're thinking about or looking to create some kind of community that one of the things that you can do is to you know, seek out those that are maybe further along the road than you, maybe something's already established that you can join. And, and it brings up this idea of mentorship and eldership, mm. uh, which is of course so embedded in, in uh, nat native and indigenous cultures and in many ways is, is absent except maybe in a business context in, in a more mm. westernized mm -hmm. uh, industrialized society. So what have you found in terms of the, the importance and the role of, of eldership and mentorship and, and how do we reinvigorate that if we happen to be in a, a culture where that's not so robust or, or established? Mm. Oh, beautiful question. I, you know, I think back over my life and I, I, there's, there was a stark absence of, of elders in, in that there was an absence of people who had more life experience than I did who were willing to hold me and just let me fall apart and bless my coming unglued. Um, they, I, I was just so surrounded by people who, as soon as I started falling apart, they were like on me about it, you know, and, and then I had to just like hold on and um, suppress and repress all those, all those feelings. Um, and in a way, what's, what's really cool to me in that is that I, out of default, out of not having those people, I ended up kind of having to become that for myself. And through becoming that for myself, I started to be able to be that for other people. Then I found myself surrounded by a lot of people who, who needed that from me, but didn't know quite yet how to hold me in it. And when I came up against my own shit, I had to, I, I, for a while I had to really keep holding myself. And then I had to, and then luckily, I, I seemed to attract maybe or encounter people who were like, you need someone to hold you. And I was like, oh my God, I do. Yes, please. <laughs> Would you? And I was so sensitive to the, um, to the ways that it can be done imperfectly that it took a while for me to kind of be able to shift to, okay, I got me, except when I don't. And when I don't, I can talk to this person. And by now I'd say, I think I have like, well, definitely one person who I can be like, I'm not getting it. And I call that one person. I think I might have two people now. I, I just had an experience with someone where, oh my gosh, like we got through super smoothly, you know? I didn't come out with burrs on me. Um, and, and I trust that over time, you know, I will have more elders and I will become a more adept elder myself. And then people, 
you know, uh, who may be, and then we can become elders to each other. So that excites me. And then when it, when it comes to like the, there's almost like a sandwich, right? There's like our elders and mentors, and then there's us, and then there's the people we're useful to. And I think that if we have people in all three of those layers, or then there's people in the layer with us, you know, kind of, and some of them are maybe a little uh, further or more likely to be consistently able. Um, anyway, there's the kind of like, there's a, there's a relativity to it. And, and yes, most of the people in my kind of holding space elder sphere and in the sphere uh, in regard to who I'm a mentor or elder to, um, we're, we, we're still far away from each other. We don't live on the same land base necessarily, um, though we do spend more time in each other's physical company than we used to. So there's progress. It's so slow mm. and sometimes can be quite discouraging. <laughs> if, if it was easy, everyone would do it. I hope <laughs> yeah. when you, as you're speaking, what I was thinking about is how <clears throat> the, that kind of relationship of, oh, this person is ahead of me, I can receive and be held. And, oh, I'm ahead of this person, I can give and hold. It is in some ways, it's naturally what arises when we are in authentic relationship with one another. Mm. And I can see that, especially in Western society, there's so much uh, attention and priority and celebration of the individual. Me, mine, the me, mine paradigm and culture. And that I can see that to be a part of a, a, an authentic and, and healthy relational ecosystem I actually have to let go of that particular sense of me and mine. Mm -hmm. I am actually in service to those that I can support. And I am actually wholly interdependent with, with both sides of that equation, those ahead of me and those behind me. Yeah. That we, we do need each other for that shared navigation of life. Yeah. And we've been taught in Western culture that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And that in, in fact, it's a threat to our sovereignty to engage in community in that way. So, so in that, I see there, there's a real surrender and a letting go of ego, identity, and control to really be a nourishing community. And, and it's, it's so challenging because to me, when I look at things like addiction and mental illness, mostly what I see is conditioned and pathologized unmet needs and the coping that goes along with not having an authentic nourishing solution for those unmet needs. Yeah. And, and that's what community is. And so, and we want both. We want belonging and a sense of love and connectedness. And we want to be able to do exactly what we want when we want it. Mm -hmm. and, and those two actually don't go together. And I think that's a tough one for people to reconcile. Yeah. I mean, until maybe they can and do, I, because I think there's a say real more, say more about paradox. That. I think there's a real paradox in terms of individualism, and um, especially when it comes to what what a lot of the woo woo world calls the ego. Um, what I see is that you know, as our as our ego maybe develops, it develops because we're not met in the moment with some needs 
all needs are legit is is the way I see it some of them can't be met right now though and when they can't be met a, a little one especially just needs to grieve that and it's and, and then they can pick themselves up and find something else to do um, if it's if it's a need that can be met great and yet what happens when, when little ones come up against so many needs that aren't legitimized, let alone met? We, and, and then sometimes even the parent directs the little one to a substitution behavior. It's like, oh, you know, you want a high sugar um, food right now. You, you can't have a high sugar food right now, um, but you can watch TV. And... And so, you know, we, so many of us, I think we grow up with these like channels that say, if you can't get what you really need, because, you know, for a natural little human, um, the eating of a high, highly sweet food in, a, in the context of the wild uh, took them to berries, which were really nutrient dense. The fact that the sweet food in our environment these days is cookies isn't the kid's fault. <laughs> and, and so these substitution, which I mean, that's a substitution in itself, isn't it? I just see around me when I think about substitution behavior, which was an idea some guy, I should be giving credit to him, but I, I don't hmm. know his name. Hmm. Um, when I got that lens to look through the world at, I was like, whoa, check out all the substitution behaving we have going on alcoholism, addiction, it's all, you know, a, a quick fix. That's what these substitution behaviors are, is a quicker way or a more available way, a more immediate way to get the sense that our need has been fulfilled, even when it hasn't been. And I forget kind of what we were talking about that led to this part. Well, I mean, what I'm, t what I'm pointing to and, and really interested in talking about is that the the integration of the individual into community, especially out of the context of an individualistic society, has to involve the letting go of us individually getting our way all the time. Yeah. There's, there's not a way to do that. And once everyone's aligned and, and kind of integrated into what community really is, then the wants and needs, the authentic wants and needs are, are based on something that's shared. Mm -hmm. But, but the, 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 before that integration occurs in the individual and in the community, we're each carrying around a, 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 a meaning-making machine that is our identity, that is our developed conditioned ego yeah. that isn't necessarily aligned with what a community is and what a community does, how it moves. Yeah. So, so that, that's a challenging piece for anyone, whether we're talking about a family unit, whether we're talking about a, a business or organization, or a community that's really living and, and, and working together, um, that equation or how to navigate that is to me like the, the holy grail of, mm -hmm. of the healing of humanity. Like how do we come back to where we came out of and, and include everyone? How does that work? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because between the substitution behaviors and are the ways that we've been, um, the ways that using substitution behaviors and shame have contributed to uh, an, a lack of ability to see more possibilities, I think is critical. 
Um, and I think that this is where elders become more able to say, hmm, so you think that to fulfill this need, you need to do these things. And these things, though, we're, we're all letting you know, um, are actually hurtful and, and, and don't work for the wider community. But we, we totally validate your need. What other ways might there be for you to fulfill those needs that don't create problems for other people and and that there are you know there's an allowance for the you know the the tantrums that might have to be had and uh you know i i find so often people are so afraid of things like anger because they think something's going to get broken or hurt because and understandably so because it has so often in their experience anger has meant things get broken and people get hurt also we're afraid of sadness because sadness means you have to you have to do something you don't really want to do to make that person feel better but in both those cases where there's anger or sadness there are so many more possibilities if we can just really let the anger or sadness take its course run its course be spent and then be like okay now what what can we see now mm. what possibilities emerge now that we aren't limiting our own ideas for ourselves and each other around what anger means and has to make happen what sadness means and what has to happen even around joy even around joy there can be times when someone's like lit up and being like whoa i'm celebrating something and people around and even the person celebrating think it means that i have to be humble and i have to hide it from people because they'll be jealous or envious and then they'll feel bad about their lives and it, so yeah it just to me it just yeah always comes back to these um these feelings that are difficult for no matter whether they're pleasant or unpleasant they they bring us these difficulties, and, but they also bring us these opportunities to find out what else might be true. It makes me uh, think about uh, just the thought that came to me is that the, what really addresses us, what really solves a quote-unquote problem, the real answer to what's difficult about life, isn't a reducible equation. It's not like a thing we can do. I think about uh, a child who, um, whose parents are, are professionals, they're busy, they're wealthy. The child has everything a child could want except for the, the warmth and presence and, and clear expression of love from the parents. That child is in trouble. Yeah. You know, the equation of what the child has is all the stuff and the child feels malnourished yeah. because there's a, there's a kind of, um, ineffable aspect to love and relationship that isn't reducible. It's not a thing you can do and then someone gets it. It's something that you are, that you can make room for and allow it to come through. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's tough because if we want to talk about, you know, community and, and ways of interacting and communicating and systems and, and, you know, if we want to organize things, it looks like it needs to be this way or that. Mm. And, and what I see is that there's, there's the domain that we started with, the domain of presence, the, the domain of transcending the stuff of life. And then there's the stuff of life. Yeah. 
and they both exist in this life that we're living, they're, they're highly interconnected and interdependent, but they're not the same. Yeah. And, and, and for me, um, our ability to be inclusive of those two dimensions of life is where real wisdom comes from. Mm. And, and it, 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 it's like, do you trust that the wisdom that underlies everything is good? Do you trust that it's there and do you trust that it's good? If you don't, you need to hold to intellect. You need to hold to a sense of control. You need to hold to kind of dogmatic systems. If you trust that that underlying intelligence is good and available, you can let all of that go and begin to put it all together in a way that, that has the foundation of, of what holds everything. And, and I know that can sound kind of airy fairy wooey wooey to people, but, but it re for me, um, and especially with work that I've done in communication, it's where the most powerful communication comes from, not from a clarity of thought, or intellect, but from a, a deep presence and, and, and embodiment of being. Mm -hmm. And then allowing something that's much more oriented to the heart to come through. And then the mind and the intellect is of service to that. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not actually the one driving. Yeah. It's, it's the, the vehicle, but the one driving is something deeper. And, and, oh. and like, I, 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 I'm really interested, how do we how do we plant that? How do we, you know, and, and I have thoughts and ideas, but how do we get that into people that maybe don't have a, a clear or a direct sense of it? Uh, yeah, how indeed. I mean, I guess humans learn through examples being set for them. So I think we set the example as one of the answers anyway. I think something else that comes into it is honoring the order of things, the natural order of things. Because all of those substitution behaviors that I was, you know, alluding to before, is it's like it's like that parent is skipping a step. They're skipping just being present with the upset child and being like, Hey, I'm right here. I got you. And they're skipping to do this instead, have this instead. And, and even if the kid's like, well, okay, and they take the cookie, you're right, like something has been skipped over. And, and no wonder they grow up with ideas that it's, it's doing that has to happen because that's the only example they've had set. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about uh, just you, what you've been doing, what's been uh, meaningful about it, what, what do you see that works in the, the projects that you've created and that you continue to move forward? So yeah, just if there's a place you want to start in that, I'd love to open that up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, I've been just really jazzed the last, you know, since COVID started um, to see how many more people are reaching out to people like me, people like you to say, I see them asking two kinds of questions. One is what the heck happened to our humanity and how do we get it back? And also how do I create actual relevant localized food, shelter, community security in, in some simple ways that, that are sustainable, regenerative. And um, 
you know, people like you and me have been thinking about this for a while. Um, it's, it's just really been satisfying for me to see more people turning to those people and saying, hey, you know, I, I appreciate and acknowledge that you've been thinking about this and um, learning and, and I'd like the benefit of your, of your experience. Um, Project Salvage was, was something that was created out of the question, Nicole, what have you figured out already that you think is valuable? And I was like, oh my gosh. And the, and the person said, you know, turn that into steps. And they turned into seven steps that now I see more as movements than steps because they keep cycling. I keep cycling through them. Nonlinear. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, in the last, even in this last short while, I've, you know, in, in that, within the confines of the limitations that now are kind of there for us to at least consider, am I going to stay home and do things online instead of going places and doing things with people? And I'm cool with that. This is, I'm actually happy because I'm learning how to do all these Zoom kind of things and do things more remotely. Um, and it cost me less gas. Who knew? Woohoo. I like that. Uh, I've been doing three kinds of meetings on online and then another kind, which is just conversations with people. So there are the one-on-ones and a lot of which are being recorded like this conversation is. And then it's like becomes material that gets sent out in the world that, that might, you know, might get in somewhere. The second kind of circles I'm doing, I'm calling radical empathy labs. So they're opportunities for two or more people to get together and just practice some of the skills of authentic expression coupled with deep listening and then the communication that can happen that makes it obvious to both parties that what you've expressed is what I've heard and that you heard what I expressed. So it's, it's, it's really like training wheels um, for authentic relating in the most basic way. The second kind of group that I've been um, hosting and facilitating is groups of people who are saying, I want to be part of a grounded in real life group of people who are growing food, living in simple shelters and having a lot of fun together and dealing with these harder questions of like existential, um, the, you know, the gap between what I believe myself to be created to be and what I find myself actually living out. And then the um, other kind of group that I'm hosting is, goes back to how, how kind of Awakening the Village all started, which was with these weekly gatherings, all kinds of different gatherings, um, celebrations, conversations, workshops, play shops, presentations, panels, of people focusing on one topic at a time, a topic that's relevant to how we might bring about the change that we think the world needs. Um, and I'm having one of those this Sunday is going to be the, the revival of Awakening Cafe. And it's going to be about, about me, kind of get people up to speed on where I'm at in my story, and then going over Project Salvage. Um, the seven movements of Project Salvage so that people can decide if they want to kind of become a devotee to the project, you know, and which is really a way of just being devoted to yourself and your own development and your own finding of belonging. Amazing. I, I'm curious about some of maybe the more specific 
tools and approaches that have come to to be your resources. Uh, mm -hmm. I know that you you love diving in, you love learning, you love kind of listening, reading, getting a sense of what others are doing. And, and I think a little bit like me, like most people that really want to make it work, they want to take the most potent, uh, essential aspects of what works and, yeah. and then weave it together into something that's, that's whole and, and addresses what it is to, to be human and to live together. So I'm just curious if any things in particular come up that you'd want to share that might be helpful and supportive to the audience. Oh, sure. Yeah, and that even reminds me of the fifth kind of group I'm actually engaging in, which is an advanced practices um, kind of show and tell. And let's let's get together every now and then and and tell each other how we're seeing our own advanced practices evolve, mm. so that they're more effective. Um, and the question I got I got to answer, and I'm glad I've had some time to think about it, has been, what are your advanced practices? This is kind of what I hear. I think I hear you saying. And, you know, some of them are simple. And, you know, as I've been mulling over this question, when I got it from this um, person who's asked it already, uh, as I go through my day, I'm like, oh, there's one too. Oh, there's another one. These are all, you know, things I have in my toolkit that I pull out. Um, you know, simply stated, one, one of them is, and they fall into categories like the physical ones, the ones that are more emotionally nurturing the ones that are mentally nurturing the ones that are um, environmentally kind of relevant when it comes to co-creating environments with others rather than just me and my personal space uh, I don't I don't set an alarm for myself that's one of my advanced practices uh, it it might not be an advanced practice for someone else but it is mm. for me I let myself surface very gradually and I look to remember my dreams and get get what's in them um, because my psyche, my, my, my subconscious has probably been talking to me all night. And then I have a big old glass of water. And that's just my, you know, basic hydration. My body needs that. Then I write for three pages. And I pay attention to a, a kind of series of focal points. And, and this, this is something that I offer as a tool in Project Salvage in the Seven Movement seventh movement which is um, reflection and I it's it's I call this process crapping big which is an acronym which has hilarious um, metaphorical like relevance to it you know like I crap in the morning and part of my crap is I create a P there's a P in crapping right here the P um, and that step is prioritize and um, and kind of plan um, and the joke is that you might only need to crap once in a day, but you need to pee a few times. You need to refer back to your priorities to make sure you're hitting those. So that writing in the morning is a, is a crap, a personal crap. And, uh, and then, you know, again, really basic stuff. I, I eat as many fruits, vegetables, berries, and a little bit of meat as, as I can get my hands on. And I, I love when that's locally, um, sourced and then there's the things I do when I'm in a pinch you know one of them is call my mentor who has a track record with me of being a hundred percent what I need in those times I also have a few I, I would call them like internal exercises that I do that come from my years as a, uh, a yogi 
a to Kriyaban yoga, which is um, a school of yoga that's super, super ancient. Uh, their breaths and visualizations that I that I use to, and I really over time I've really noticed that all these all these do these advanced yogic practices is bring me into my physical awareness of myself and my awareness of my, my emotional body and my mental body too. And they bring that into alignment. Mm. And then I put on my playlist at least once a day and go for a big old walk in the park. And, and I, I don't hold back. Um, I sing along, I dance along. It's a great, it's great exercise. It, it gets my lymphatic system moving. It, it gets me feeling like, you know, I'm bringing some beauty and joy into the world, even if I don't have a great voice and people are embarrassed. That's okay. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. And then I do these circles um, and I get a good night's sleep. So that's kind of some of my advanced practices in a nutshell anyway. What, what I love about all of that is that actually it's very simple stuff. And, and, and to me that is... That's really the the marker of what enables what we might call advanced in the living of life. That it's all dependent on the simplest of things. It made me think actually of uh, I worked with athletes for years, and and so there's a lot of talk about flow in sport. Like you, you mm. basically you want to be in a state of flow all the time. It's it's when we perform our very highest. It's when we're the most advanced in that kind of performance. And what's interesting about flow is that first, it's it's a completely natural state of being that everybody experiences it, and maybe not as much as we used to uh, with with kind of the the state of society these days, but. Um, it is a completely natural state of being. You're not actually trying to be anyone or do anything when you're in flow. Mm. Like when you're really in flow, there's no efforting. Yeah. It's very much like life is expressing itself through you. And a lot of times athletes or performers will speak that way. Like I, The song sang me. Yeah. The, the music danced me. It wasn't, I wasn't doing it. And, and I think there's something, uh, powerful for us to realize and recognize in that that when it's trying to make something happen when it's trying to fix it change it make it better it's just not it and and that doesn't mean that life doesn't include some uphill movements um, but that we can be something that isn't trying we can be what doesn't need to try while on the surface we're doing things that involve effort and energy and so, and then just back to what you shared, when we're willing to be with the simple, in a real way, the complex takes care of itself. Mm-hmm. And when we get lost in the complex, there's no real solution for that yeah. because we're not being what actually informs that complexity. Yeah. So I, I hope that people listening can, can hear your words and, and what I'm pointing to and look for those things I, I've talked about this a couple of times, but a number of years ago, I was at a, a networking event of some kind in Calgary and we were at a restaurant and I went into the bathroom and, and they had this kind of board plaque on the wall and it was like 22 things to do for a better life. And then these were like, get up and go to bed at the same time every day, drink lots of water, get lots of rest, um, eat whole foods, like all these things that 
99% of people, we know all of that stuff. And most people don't consistently do all of those things. And that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me that we actually know how to live well and often we don't choose it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's something for a, another conversation of ours, but yeah, I, I love the simplicity of what you shared. Thanks. If people are interested in more, Nicole, and what you're up to, how can they find you, reach you, get in touch? I am very active on social media on Facebook. Nicole Hartley Bradford on Facebook. Send me a message. Um, I have some groups and things and pages on there too, which I eventually usually see if people send through those. Uh, And then my email is NicoleBradford110 at gmail.com. And so I'll make sure that uh, that info is in the podcast description and any of the posts that I make uh, about it. So it'll make it as easy as possible for you to get in touch with Nicole. And uh, I, it's always been a pleasure. This was really sweet. I feel like it's been uh, too long if that exists. Mm. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down. I would love to do it again sometime before wow. too long. Thank you so much, Dolphin. I, yeah, I love when we talk. And yeah, it does feel like a long time since we did. But yeah, maybe that helps make it especially sweet. Keep rocking it. This is, these are amazing conversations and the idea that they're going out into the world and all these different perspectives uh, just lights me up. Sweet. Well, thanks again. And uh, I'll be in touch. Okay. Take care, Nicole. Awesome. Me too. Bye for now. Yeah, yeah. Bye for now. You are listening to the Conversations for Change podcast with Dolphin Casper.